My name is Sheng. I'm going to do second Bible reading. Uh, reading is taken from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Uh, from Church Bible, you can find it on page 1024, or you can follow with me on the screen. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the wave because the wind was against it. During the first wash of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When, when the disciples saw him, Walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward, toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cry out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into their boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sheng. Now, as a church family, we've been working through the book of Isaiah, but for this week, we're taking just a one-week break to reflect on a passage that our kids learned this past week at the Holiday Club. So this was one they uh, learned on the second day, and I thought it would be good for us as a church to reflect on what they've been learning, what these kids have been taught, and especially for the parents here from Holiday Club. I'm glad you can join us but once again, let's join in prayer and we'll reflect on this. Heavenly Father, as we consider what Jesus did that night on the Lake of Galilee, teach us now how we are to respond to him, that he is indeed the Son of God. We pray, Lord, that you'll do this in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know whether this sounds strange to you at all, but Yvonne and myself, we have already thought about what will leave our children. We have thought deeply about what is it that we want to leave behind. What's the impression we want to leave on them? Now, God has blessed us with three children, uh, 12, 10 and 8, one girl, two boys. Um, I always wanted more, but that's it. It's, it's done. It's over. Just three, but we're very content and thankful. And we have already thought about what is it we want to leave our children. Now, by this, I don't mean an inheritance, not that there's much anyway. Uh, not my coffee machine, who, that won't last. My lawnmower, who cares? Uh, Yvonne's hairdryer, that won't last. Either. Not an inheritance, but what we want to leave our children is an impression that they are to grow always, depending on one, more dependable than us, their parents. We want them to live depending on the one who's far more dependable than us. 
We want to leave an impression that they will continue to grow in trust and reliance on one who is more trustworthy and more reliant than us, more reliable than us, their parents. And who is that? Well, that is God. That is God, the one true God. The one who says, we read in Job, the one who says in, in the book of Matthew, who, who, who will not allow a sparrow to fall to the ground apart from the will of God. This is the God of incredible power. I mean, just a bird, who cares? A bird, bird dies all the time, but not apart from the will of God. The God who says he will count, he knows every number of hair on the heads of our head. On the, I mean, on the head of our, on our head. <laughs> and it's easier for God as I get older and I lose more hair. But still, there are 7 billion people around the world. How does God keep number on your head, the number of hairs? The God who flung the stars in the sky and names them all. I mean, there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And there are over 100 billion galaxies in the universe. How can God keep count? But not one will go missing. This is the God of incredible power. And so the impression we want to leave on our kids is you depend on that God. You rely on that God. Forget whatever you have here on earth. You rely and depend on that. And this is the God of incredible power, but yet of gentle, tender care. And we want to leave that impression on our kids. Now, is that strange? I mean, our kids are still young. We're not too old, but we're already thinking, what is it we want to leave behind? And that's why, as something we do, I, I learned of this from another family. But what I do during term time is that every Wednesday at 5 p.m., I'll have what we call daddy time. This is when I'll take each of my kids one at a time. And so they get an opportunity one in three weeks. I take one of my kids out for a treat, one-on-one -on -one time, where each child, um, they usually get pretty excited. They're, they're excited about perhaps more the treat than spending time with me one-on-one, -on -one. and it's usually McDonald's or Bubble Cup. But I would spend this time with one of my child each Wednesday just to know what's happening in life. And so I'll ask them two normal questions and some others. What's been making you happy lately? Tell, tell me what's been making you happy, joyful, excited. And then tell me what, what's been making you sad or upset lately. And that's because I want to impress on them. If I'm around, I want to do this. When I'm gone, that they'll still have this. And so I want to impress on them that if you are disappointed at school, your friends are not treating you well. You experience a bit of bullying. You, you, you're just sad. You're upset because of what's happening. Well, turn to God. I'm not around at school, but turn to God. He's more powerful than me. Rely on him. Pray to him. Or when things are going well and they share of their happiness with their friends, the joy they're enjoying at church, at Yoshi in Sunday school, the friends that they, they have. And, and I say to them, well, you remember, this is because of the God who is powerful. Praise him. Thank him. You see, we want to leave our kids with this impression so that they'll grow old into that, knowing, loving this God who loves them so much. While we are here, after we are gone, depend on him still. You see, in the story that we're looking at now, we see this God, why he is trustworthy. We see the God of awesome power. 
we come to know the God of the Bible by encountering Jesus. And that was the theme this past week at Holiday Club. We wanted the children, the 70 to 80 kids who came along, to encounter God by encountering Jesus. And that's why they considered this passage, this story. And it's a story not just for children. We had the wonderful kids talk before, but it's not just for children, it is for us. Because there is the one true God who is Lord of all. And here in this story, we're meant to get this sense, this awe-inspiring sense of the power of God. The disciples were confronted by God and his power. And so let's have a look. If you do have your Bibles open, um, it will be easier for you to follow along. Matthew 14. Now this story takes place in the Sea of Galilee. This is a real place. It's still around today, this Sea of Galilee in Israel. But back in the time of Jesus, there was a thriving fishing industry. Over 200 boats working the lake, fishing. And here we read in this story, Jesus sends off his disciples, get on a boat, cross over to the other side, get there before him. Now, many of these disciples, they were seasoned fishermen, and so that would have been a piece of cake. Get on boat, roll, get across the other side, no problem. But now we read what happened. Jesus was praying, still on land, sent them across first, and look at verse 24. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, and the wind was against it. Now, only in a few short words, that's already telling us that disciples would have been struggling for hours against the wind and the waves. They were fighting to get across, but they're not getting that far. They haven't made it over to the other side already. And so it's meant to give us a picture. These disciples, they were working hard, back-breaking work, struggling to keep the boat stable. You see, the Sea of Galilee, it's in fact known geographically because of where it's located, uh, known for adverse weather conditions. It's because it sits 200 metres below sea level. And so you can just imagine if it's below sea level, you've got the Mediterranean over in the west. As the cold wind blows over from the Mediterranean, it can stir up the waters. It, it, a storm can start up suddenly. It can become very turbulent very quickly. And so you can just imagine what the disciples were experiencing at this point. Now, if you've been out to sea much, you would, would often feel quite small, especially in a small fishing boat. And all around you, all you can see is water, and especially helpless if there's a storm. And so you can imagine the disciples at this point in the middle of the lake, pitch black. It would have been cold. They would have been desperate, drenched, waterlogged, tired, weary, and of course frustrated. And then we read, it's now the fourth watch. Look at verse 25. The fourth watch, which according to Roman time was about 3 a.m. in the morning, in the middle of the night. They've been rowing for about nine hours now. And what did they see? Verse 25. During the fourth watch, about 3 a.m. of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So just imagine that scene. I mean, we saw the kid's story before. It was quite funny. But it wouldn't have been like that at all. It would not have been like that. Pitch black. The, the waves are rolling. The, the, rain, the, the rain is bucketing. The storm is furious. And then suddenly you see a man 
walking on the waves in the darkest of night. I mean, who can do such a thing? Who can do such a thing? It's not just a story for kids. This happened in our history. A man walking on water. But you see, Jesus was showing he's no ordinary man. Who can defy the laws of nature except the one who created the universe, who has power over nature? You see, this was no party trick Jesus just did just to you know, excite his disciples a bit. He was teaching them a lesson. He was showing them who he was. I am the Son of God. I have power over creation. This is nothing to me. I can do that. No problem at all. He was declaring to the world, he is the Lord of all. He is, in fact, also making another point to the disciples. He is showing them that he is greater than their greatest prophet. Now, who was the greatest prophet of Israel? The greatest prophet to the Jewish people was perhaps Moses. What did he do? He split the Red Sea. Extraordinary, wonderful miracle. Well, Jesus trumps him on that. He doesn't split the sea. He walks on the sea. He shows him that he's greater than even Moses. And so how did the disciples respond? Well, they responded in a way I suspect you and I would. 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, pitch black. The storm is furious. How did they respond? Verse 26. They were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I suspect you and I would do that too. In the middle of the night, the wind is howling, the rain is bucketing, and you see a man walking on water. Of course you think it's a ghost. But of course it was no ghost. It was Jesus. For here we see the power of God, the one who rules over heaven and earth. And Jesus says to them, verse 27 now, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, what we might not pick up here is that in only those few words, Jesus was identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. You see, when God encountered his people, when anyone encountered God, they were terrified. Abraham, Isaac, Isaiah, they were terrified. And each time God said, do not be afraid. Here, that's what Jesus said to his disciples, do not be afraid. But what we may not always also pick up here was that Jesus takes on the personal name of God. It is I, or it's more literally, I am. Now, where have we heard that before? That's the name God used for himself when he made himself known to, to Moses, to the forefathers, I am. And not only that, well, Jesus, he did only what God could do. I mean, how can any one of us try or even dare try walk on water? But to walk on water was a sign that he is God. He has power over creation. In Job chapter 9, he alone treads the waves of the sea. And so here what we see, it's not just a story, but Jesus, the Son of God, displaying the powers of God. I am the one who made the sky and the seas. I am the one who controls the wind and the waves. I am the Lord of the universe. We encounter God by encountering Jesus. What we might not realize, by, but by reading this and, and meeting Jesus, we are encountering God. And so the disciples see they witness, this is the Son of God. He's just proved it. But now we might ask, 
So what? So what if he's the son of God? What has that got to do with me? Who cares? But you see, you cannot encounter God and not be changed by it. They were frightened. You cannot be indifferent when you encounter God. It's meant to call forth faith. It's meant to bring out faith. It is meant to cause us to trust. And so what did the disciples do? Well, Peter, the one who's always impulsive and rash, he calls out, verse 28, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Now, we don't know why Peter did that. He, he probably wasn't thinking. He spoke before he thought anything. But Jesus did call back to him, come. And then verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He stepped out in faith. I mean, he too walked on water because of faith. I mean, who would have done that? I mean, I wonder whether I would have done that. Step out onto the raging sea, the waves still going crazy, walking on water. He did that. All was well until he came to his senses. You can just imagine him. He's, he's bold, courageous, walked out, stepping on water, but then suddenly he looks around. It's pitch black, the waves still rolling, the, the, the storm is still furious, and, and he gets scared. And then verse 30 we read, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And so Jesus, verse 31, immediately reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? That is, Jesus is questioning his disciple. Why did you doubt? Why were you double-minded? Do you not know who I am? I am the Lord of the universe. I'm the one who made all things. I'm the one who gave you life. Why do you doubt? Why do you not continue to trust in me? Why do you look at the wind and not focus on me? Do you not trust that I care and I will save you and I'll never forsake you? And to convince him and the others that he's absolutely trustworthy. Look at what happened next, verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. It just makes you wonder why Jesus didn't calm the storm first and walk on calm waters. It's strange, isn't it? He, he walked on, on, on the waters while the storm was raging, but it was only when he got into the boat that the storm stopped. Now, how can that happen unless you're God? Makes you think that boat at that time with Jesus on it, with his disciples, was perhaps the safest place in the universe at that time. And there's only one proper response. When you encounter God, when you encounter the Son of God, you not only trust in him, but you worship him. You bow your knee. Here is your king. And so we read in our final verse, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so their fear now has been replaced with faith. He is trustworthy and worship. He is our King. For they encountered the Son of God. And so here in this story, I suspect many of us have heard this story before, many times, hundreds of times. But again, we have to reflect, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? It can't be just a story. You see, it's a story that, that Jesus showed his powers. He's got the powers of God that he is indeed the Son of God, and this is beyond extraordinary. He proves he is the Son of God. But what difference is it meant to make to us? 
for us today. How must we live in response? Well, what it means is that if he is who he says he is, then there is only one we are to trust in and depend on. Trust in even with our life. That's what we want to impress on our children. You trust in him. You trust in him in, in all of life, in the storms of life. You trust in him. He is the one who's more powerful than your parents. He's the one who can save you. I can't. You trust in him. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry for, for a few years now. And I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that every single person, every single person, on the surface, we might look like life is going well and smooth and all is, is going without any complications. But beneath the surface, scratch a bit, and every single person will have something, some issue that they're dealing with. Beneath the surface, there it might be that family life at home. It's not what it should be. Married life, marriage, is not what it could be. Illness, like a thorn in the flesh, that will never go away. Something you just have to bear and live with. Or something that's just draining, draining your energy, hurting inside, consuming, eating away. Recently, I, I learned of some statistics in Australia. It's pretty shocking, quite depressing. Two million Australians suffer from anxiety. Two million. Uh, the stats have it that one in six visits to the GP is for anxiety. One in six. Not for the cold and flu. One in six for anxiety. If those stats are right, that's many of us here. What do you do when life is like that? It might look good on the surface on Sunday. Beneath the surface, it is tumultuous. What do you do? Well, there is the God who is above all, the one who is powerful. Another stat, one in four Australians report feeling lonely at least one day a week. I mean, we're getting more and more populated in Australia. There's an influx of migrants Population's increasing, but yet people are feeling more and more lonely. How is that at all possible? If the stats are right, that's many of us. What do you do? Who do you depend on? Who do you turn to in times like that? We want to impress on our children, you depend on God. There will be days at school, you'll feel lonely, you'll feel left out, you'll feel isolated, you depend on God, you trust in him. Who is there to depend on in all the ups and downs of life? Who is there to depend on through all the pain and grief, through all the sorrows and despair, the heartache and hurt, the turmoils and the storms of life? You see, this story is to show that there is one who is powerful enough and loving enough to care. You see, Peter's story in what he did of him walking out on the water in the storm, it, it did happen, it was real. But it also functioned a bit like a parable. You see, when I look at the circumstances of life to those I minister to, to even my own life, and when I just focus on the circumstances, the situation, the dangers, you know, the anxiety or the depression or the loss of work or the uh, brokenness of relationships or the disappointments or the struggles and hardships and pain, if I just focus on the circumstances, 
the situation, of course I'll be afraid. I'll feel helpless and I'll sink. What do you do in that moment? It will happen to us if not already. Well, you do what Peter did. You do what Peter did. Though his faith wavered, he did the right thing, didn't he? What could he have done when he was sinking? He could have thought, I will save myself. I'll try to swim back to the boat. He could have done that, couldn't he? But what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. He did the right thing. You see, when God is all you have, you'll learn that God is all you'll need. He expressed faith. Jesus can save him and will save him. He expressed faith in the end. Jesus stretched out his hand to save him from the clutches of death. It's amazing. It's like a parable. It happened, but it's also like a parable for life. You see, Peter's story teaches us something about our storms of life. There is one we can lean on to save us. Jesus stretched out his hand to save Peter. But you know, in the gospel story, Jesus will stretch out his hand again towards the end. But that time, he'll stretch out his hand not to save Peter from drowning, but he'll stretch out his hand on the cross to save the world, to save the world from their sin and the coming judgment, to save those who believe in him from death itself. Jesus will stretch out his hand again, and he did on the cross. And you see, if this is the Son of God, the one who showed himself to be all-powerful, in control over all creation, to stretch out his hand and to save, then there is no one more important, more powerful, more loving than him. That is the impression I want to leave on my children. You trust in him while I'm alive, when I'm gone, you continue to trust in him. In fact, it's not just for my children. It's actually also for me. I need him. Through my trials of life, through my storms of life, I need him. And of course, it's also for you. There is the Savior who stretched out his arm on the cross for you. It's wonderful when Christians know that, believe that, and live that out. It was, it was Hudson Taylor. Many of you would have heard of the story of Hudson Taylor. He was a great missionary to China. He left for China at 21 years old. And he really was the one who brought the gospel into China and it really shaped China, brought in many missionaries. He's the one who founded the China Inland Mission, which is now OMF. Served in China for 51 years, learnt the language brought in hundreds of missionaries, established hundreds of schools. But what we may not know about Hudson Taylor was that he lived a life with many storms, many trials. He had bouts of depression. Could, could you imagine that? You'd think he'd be so strong, so firm as a missionary, but he had bouts of depression. In 1900, he had a completely physical and mental breakdown. Can you imagine that, a missionary, for that to happen? And the personal cost to his life was very high. To, to move to China, to raise a family there, it was very high. His wife, Maria, died at age 33. I could not ever imagining that, imagine that. Four of his eight children died before they reached the age of 10. How do you get through that storm in life? 
Well, do you know what he was able to do? He was able to cling to Jesus, trusting that Jesus held on to him. This was what he said. When you feel that you can do nothing and are nothing, rest in this, that he will never let you go. It is not my frail hold of him that matters. It is his strong grasp of me. Now, wasn't that what happened in the story of Peter? It wasn't that Peter grabbed onto Jesus. It was that Jesus grabbed onto him. And when Jesus stretched out his hand, his arm on the cross, it was him grabbing onto us to save us. And that is why we who believe in Jesus, we can live with such confidence, with such hope in all the storms of life, in all the ups and downs. And that's why we can sing words with joy and believe it. We're going to sing a song, and these will be the words we'll sing. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Saviour, he will stay. I labour on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. Now, aren't those wonderful words? We believe because Jesus is indeed the Son of God, who displays the power of God and has come to save us. What must happen in our response? There's only one right response, and that is to respond in faith, to trust in him. Let's pray.